Hello and welcome to Three Blokes and a Rugby League podcast. I'm sure you've already figured out that I am not Jamie Robinson. I am, in fact, the go-to super sub for the podcast, Eden Harris. Uh, this is my third appearance on the pod and my first time as the host, so we'll uh, we'll see how this one goes. The regular three have just released their interview with Chris Atkin last Wednesday, and that's well worth a listen, so go find that on all the usual channels, as well as an interview with Richie Mathers coming up on the 23rd of September and plenty more exciting things to follow. Joining me tonight are two of Wakefield's finest. The man with more names than Cowboys have wins is Jed Albert Shane Amos Goddard. And the best <laughs> the best fusion of Yorkshire and Spain since my local got Australia on tap, Joss McVitie. Let's get straight to business. <laughs> uh, Jed, we'll come to you first, mate. Who have you got as your player of the week? I uh, just want to say thanks for that wonderful uh, introduction. That was uh, <laughs> definitely how we like to start a podcast. Um, but my player of the week this week would be uh, Nathan Cleary. Arguably, the, I think, not even arguably, the best player in the comp this season. Pretty much it, the Dalliems for the player he is, is, is his if he wants it. But I thought he just showed why he's such a such a lethal player and why he's so well-regarded. It's just his boot. His boot's magic. He, he converts for fun. He, he got some more try assists just from his boot. He causes the problems every time. 40-20s goal line dropouts. And obviously his, his passing game and all-round attacking game is uh, is excellent as well. And I thought he uh, he really uh, was a, an important player for the Panthers against that yield. So, yeah, clear for me this week. Yeah, absolutely. He's the key to it, isn't he? Um, Josh, we'll come to you. Yeah, cheers for that, Ian. I'm pretty sure I was uh, a few moments with Vitti. knocking about in Spain, but... For me, it was my mate in number eight, Moeke Otoaka. I thought he was big and physical against the normally dominant Brisbane pack. And he didn't come short in any area. He good yards, dominant tackles, strong tackles. And just how good will he look when he signs for Canberra in the next few weeks? So. Yeah, two choices there. I can't really argue with it, to be honest. You know, stellar pop performances from, from both of them, as we've come to expect. So, right, let's get on to the first game. Uh, the first game is West Tigers 24, South Sydney Rabbitohs 26. Now, Jamie's not here, as we know, but I, I think he'd be quite happy with how, how the Tigers went toe-to-toe for a lot of this game. And it were a lot tighter than, than I anticipated. So, Jed, do you reckon that were a fair result? Yeah, I do, I do. I do think it were a fair result. I think Bunnies were were the better team, not by massive amounts. Obviously, it was a cracking game, arguably. I think it was the game of of the weekend um, it was definitely a step down overall compared to last week where we had so many good games but this was the only one really that stood out for me I think it was just the same old story for the Tigers just not, not really starting well like leaving it like not really wanting to play until they're already like 20 nil down like they've done it so many times they, they did last week and obviously had two miraculous comebacks but you might be able to do that against a Manly. You're not going to do it against the Bunnies team who, who are pushing to get a fifth-place finish in the playoffs. Potentially a top four, but I think that's a little bit out of the reach now. And they're wanting to uh, really progress in that finals and look towards an NRL championship. So I do think the Bunnies deserve the, the victory, but Tigers need to start quicker for me. Yeah, so what do you think got the Bunnies over the line then? Was it was it a lack of performance from the Tigers or was it was it more to do with the Bunnies actually performing well? I think a lot of a lot of the downfall were the Tigers themselves. I mean, if you look, seventy-two percent completion is, is is not the best at all. That's really poor. And the Bunnies were only completing at seventy-five percent, so it's not overly much better. Like we'd expecting them to get into at least the eighties and be pushing the high eighties, maybe. But yeah, seventy-two percent is is not really good enough. Nineteen missed tackles each, not not too bad at all. That's that's probably about average. Uh, but they're not fourteen errors, so they made far more errors than than the uh, the rabbits who had ten errors. So. 
and, and the, the discipline as well. Obviously, we saw three scene binnings. I think it would just just a poor, quali- poor quality game, but and a very entertaining game, which made it the game of the weekend. So I'd probably say it's, it's Bunny's just doing the little things better than, than West, really, and, and West being the architects of their own downfall. Mm-hmm. One man who, uh, who had an eventful game, to say the least, is Dane Gagai. We know he's, he's really versatile, but I think, personally, you see different levels of performance from him across his different positions. So for you, what is his best position? For me, I personally say he is a better winger. Like you said, he, he is very versatile and he's played at centre, he's played at fullback. I mean, not anything against Gagai, but I think we can tell that Origin's coming up pretty soon because he's starting to churn in some more regular performances and we always know how well he does go in that Maroons jersey. Uh, but yeah, I, for me, I think he is a better winger. I think whenever I think he scored a hat-trick early in the season at winger. And in this game as well, he bagged a try, four tackle busts, an offload, a line break, and run for 217 metres. There's some some really high premium numbers that he's put in, and he, he really, if we let's ignore the sin bin, and of course we'll, we'll forget about that aspect of the game, of the <laughs> game individually. But he really re- led for the bunnies for me, and, and yeah. But I would personally say that I think he is an okay centre. But when you look at the other centres that there is in the competition, I don't think he really crack, crack, cracks. The top 10, probably not even the top 15 for me, but as a winger, I'd probably say he is pushing that top 15, maybe even top 10. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that like you say, Origin's coming up and he's hitting form just at the right time for, for that selection. But the likelihood is, it, assuming he does get the call up, it will be on the wing because, you know, like you've just said, that is where he performs best. Um, just sticking with the bunnies for a second, You've got the meter eaters in there. You like the Burgess Campbell Graham who just churn them out and constantly. But I know there's someone else who stands out for you in that in in that bunny's pack. Yeah, it's uh, Liam Knight. I think he's uh, gone a little bit under the radar. Like I, I've started noticing him towards the second half of the season, and I thought this might have been his like his, his first season, or maybe he had a few last season. But he's actually been around for three seasons now, and I don't know if that's my ignorance, maybe not paying too close of attention. But I've I've noticed him quite a few times, and I think they they noticed he got suspended about two weeks ago, whenever Bunnies got absolutely thrashed a couple of weeks ago, and you really noticed that he was missing. Um, mm. Just, he's not he's not up to that Burgess level or the other premium forwards in the competition, but he, he goes about his business. He's averaging 117 metres a game, which is good. He's not, he's 25, so he's been around for three years. He's still learning his craft. He's still learning his game. But in, in this particular game, he, he really upped it, and he got around about 172 metres, I believe, I, I, I can't remember where it is off the top of it, but I think it was around 172 metres, tackling as well. And he really, he's he slotted in and really cemented his position in that bunny's pack and definitely missing. I mean, you've always got the Burgess who has obviously improved massively with 178 metres. Your Campbell Graham's on the, on the outskirts, 176 metres. But when you've got young players like this coming through and also they're churning up the big numbers, it, it, it really helps. And I think it's why the bunnies have had a bit of a, a really good season and a really good second half of the season because this guy keeps turning up and, and putting in the good effort. Mm, and it's good to get the um, the first under the radar said there as well. I know it's a favourite of this podcast. We should probably have a klaxon for it, shouldn't we? A podcast um, for uh, the cliche sayings that we say. <laughs> <laughs> Just moving over to the Tigers for a second, then, mate, and more specifically the Tigers' backs. We know how good Nofaluma is. He's doing it every single week, and you know he, he has been the standout there. But who else is impressing you? I thought Dewey had a good game again. Obviously, playing in at that centre position. Um, I, I don't know what his preferred position or his best position would be. I'd say, but he has done well the last two weeks. But 
Tommy Talal for me, I thought he, he obviously bagged uh, Matriasso and making good yards. He definitely has some maturing to do. It's only his second season, I believe, and didn't get many games under his belt last season. But you just saw when he got that second try and he very nearly, it should have been a pretty straightforward finish and he's, he's nearly got his feet dragged into touch. Player with a little mm. bit more experience and, and, and gamesmanship under their belt would have known to flick their legs up. You don't see the premium wingers doing that, or premium centre, should I say, doing that, or, or any premium outside back. So he definitely has some maturing to do in the aspects of the game, but I've been very impressed with how he has gone in recent weeks. Yeah, I think he's very raw, isn't he? It's clear that the talent's there, and that will come with the experience, you know, the more games he gets. And just on Dewey for a second there, you see... You see, sort of, it almost seems like week after week they're swapping over who's playing centre, who's playing fullback between Mbai and, and doing. So I think they need a little bit more consistency in that regard, and with with the team selection going forward. Um, so moving on to the next round, uh, coming over to you, Joss, uh, with the Manly Sea Eagles beating the Bulldogs thirty-two twenty. Um, bit of a slog this one. Neither side really came out and took the game by by the scruff of the neck, did they? No, I feel like it was more of a game where both teams were more scared to lose the game rather than they were going to go out and win it. I don't know if that's because the doggies were missing foreign. But, you know, a strong blitz between 30th and 45th minute for Manly where they go on and score 22 unanswered points. It's enough to see them home. But I think it also highlights, like we've said it in the last few weeks, that the, the dogs look tired and a couple of laps in concentration have really cost them in this game. Mm. Yeah, they, they might already have one foot on the beach there. You know, the both had disappointing campaigns, but th- there is somebody in the man in the back line who gives them a bit of hope, isn't there? Yeah, well, I was really impressed with Morgan Harper. Uh, you know, his second game in, third game in, and he's had a good go again. But I think someone needs to be looking at why the dogs have let him go. I mean, he'd be a great acquisition for their back line, and they shouldn't have ever let him go. But three games, three tries, 213 metres here, and he's just, like I keep saying, he's just a great addition to that back line. And it's a back line what's been up and down, you know, with injuries and turbo missing. And I feel like they've, they've, uh, they've found someone here who could stick around for a while because he's only a young bloke as well. Yeah, he, um, like you say, Bulldogs is former club. And, um, you know, when he scored that try, and it was incredible footwork to get over and just so so sort of sharp and agile. And you could see in his face he really enjoyed that one. Um, Ten more offloads from Manly compared to the Bulldogs. What does that say to you? Yeah, it's a bit of a surprising start, really, because obviously... Offloads tend to go under radar when you're looking, but it just showed you Manly's domination. You know, the offloads allowed them to play off the cuff, and then they, went, they were going at a fast, going at a tired doggies team who said they've lacked that bit of fitness. But I think it's highlighted by Matty Tapau. You know, he took the game to him. They were leading the offloads. They struggled to contain him, but also it just showed how Manly could then get onto the front foot. And I think we've seen that through the tries they scored and that 15 minute blitz where they took him off the park to score the points. So. I just think it allows you second phase play and then, you know, you, you go into a broken line and obviously Turbo's not there, but when you've got blokes like him knocking about middle, it's going to cause serious problems. So it's a positive sign for uh, Eagles because they can get the ball away, but doggies, it's a bit of a worry. Yeah, you kind of touched on it there, but it, it was quite a high scoring game, you know, for two struggling sides. Is that Was that more down to quality in attack or, or a lack of quality in defence? I feel it's the second one, which is a bit of a surprise to say about a Des Asler side, because normally, you know, especially Manly, you know, you're going to, your back's going against Wall and they're going to grind you down, it's going to be gritty, it's going to be physical, but 
Mm. I think I think the Eagles will be really disappointed to concede 20 points here. And that's no disrespect to the Dogs, but this is just off how much Manly back the defence, you know. And Doggies were a side who struggled to spark at most of the time. And there were no falling today. Well, not today, but there were no falling over the weekend as well. And it's just the ill-discipline creeping back in for Manly where they're giving pointless penalties away. And, you know, it's, it's, it's creating consecutive sets against them. And then again, if you look at the other side of it, going back to the poor defence, eight line breaks from the dogs against him, it's, it's a daunting thing. And I just feel like we need uh, two strong halfbacks to come in and give them some form of attack because the defence defense is about attitude. And if we can get that attitude instilled, it'll be there. But at the minute, it's just, it's, it was just a poor defensive out, outing for him. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is that on the dogs, that there is the big players do seem to be stringing a couple of performances together. Like, but who else do they need to be looking at to perform? Well, as we mentioned on the last few weeks, I feel like Will Opalati has gone really strong again this weekend. And for me, he's he's wanting his shirt for the side next year. You know, playing against his brother as well always makes it a bit more special. But I think someone who's gone at radar a bit over the last few weeks, and often because he's, he's in the losing side, but his efforts don't go amiss. He's Josh Jackson. Now, I know it's captain. We know he's played New South Wales. But if you look at his numbers in the breakdown weekly, his numbers held up really well, and they wouldn't look out of place in a side further up the table. You know, we know he can defend. We just need to give him some good early ball. He's got hands. He's played at Ucker before. So he knows what he's doing with a ball. We just need to... Just need some halfbacks in there who can give him that ball and buy him some time. Yeah, I think Josh Jackson is he, he's a he's a bit of a form player, you know. Performs in bursts. If he's if he's not at the races, then you know he, he's barely there. But honestly, when when he can string some performances together, they're coming. They're coming. Like I said, they're coming bursts, and you'll get a few games at a time of real quality um, from from Jackson. But he's clearly not enough for the dogs at the minute. Um, just coming back to you then, Jed, for the Panthers versus the Eels. The Panthers coming out on top yet again, 20 points to two, keeping the Eels scoreless. Um, it's a slippy slope for the Eels now, and it's hard to get out of a rut, a rut like this. That's three losses on the spin, and that's, you know, it's not that long ago we were talking about the Eels like they could be bothering up at the top of the league, and, you know, with an outside shout of being minor premiers, it's, it were a terrible time for them to play the Panthers, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Like, you could maybe if they'd had one or two, but like, okay, they need to switch on now. How many warning signs? It's not even the fact that it's the warning sign now. The the playing so poorly. They've struggled mm. for about six weeks now. They put, picked up wins against bad teams, not bad teams, but obviously teams not performing well, and they're just not that. The final nailing should have been wake up call was that absolute pasting they got by the bunnies. Were it thirty seven nil, or something yeah. along them lines? They got absolutely. Destroyed and they're still not waking up. Fair enough, obviously, 20 losing by 18 points to the Panthers. That's a good result if you're sitting in the bottom half of the table. When you're Eels, and let's not forget, Eels are the only team to beat the Panthers this season. Shows how dominant they were earlier on in the season. They were sitting top for a long time. But yeah, it's just been, it's, it's just going down and down and down. And I don't know what's going to happen to shake their heads and snap them out of it, to be honest. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this game. As you know, Panthers v Eels, it should have been a, an absolute blockbuster. And you know, I, I'm a Panthers fan, so I was still happy overall. But I just wanted a bit more of a game. And it's nice to be in a in a position to to say that you know when we're sitting pretty at the top of the tree. But I don't know; they just didn't really bring anything. And the Panthers just sort of the suffocated deals as the you know as as they do. They dominated the possession. They used it well. 
just grinding them down. I think it's so impressive to keep a team with the attacking power of the Eels trialists. You know, we've said before, defence wins trophies. It does, yeah. And it, it's just that everything about the game, like the forwards run hard, they dominate possession. They, they, they had nearly a thousand metres more made than, than, than Parramatta. What's that going to That's so demoralising. You're just thinking, we defend. All we're doing is defending and defending, defending. It's not, it's, it's, they're not even, it's not the fact that their defence is good, which it is anyway. They're not giving teams the chance to attack. The only, team, the only time teams are getting ball is coming out of their own territory, their own half, trying to get a little bit of possession back. But they're so dominant in the forward pack. And they've got an amazing back. It's just, like you said, they are just suffocating teams. Teams cannot, just com- cannot keep up or compete with the pace they set from the moment that first whistle is kicked off. It's just, it's, it's really, I've been a bit like, I think they're going really well. However, I still think Storm or Roosters and maybe even Raiders will do it. But at the moment, how they're dominating teams, they are my pick to win the NRL. I, I just, I can't see anyone past them at the moment. But how they're going, it's just insane what they do to teams. Mm, very big claim. Very big claim. And I like that. I like that a lot. Um, just a note on Blake Ferguson. It's been a little bit of a running joke on, on this podcast and, and well, just in general about about his lack of tries and the streak that he had without scoring. But this game proved that there's so much more about him than seeing his name on the score sheet. Again, I know he's, he's doing, it's in the losing side and in a time that they were crying out for some for some points on the board. But still, you saw that try save on, um, on Luai about 10 minutes in, I think it was. There's not many players that will pull that off. No, nah, it... It was an, an extraordinary tackle. It's the only way. It's a ten out of ten tackle. It was. A, mm. It was a joy to be holding, and and it's still quite close to that game. And you're thinking, all right, obviously the Eels are. I said, do him up for it. Obviously, then the Panthers did turn it on. Obviously, just running for fun. Um, I mean, Edwards won for 338 meters on his own. So that's just insane numbers that Ridiculous. Panthers were putting out week in week out. But yeah, that's. I mean, we always say he's, he gets them yards. He get he gets the the big running meters. And yeah, he's not getting the tries apart from obviously the one the other week. But to be making try-saving tackles like that, that just shows the quality that you have in you. And to know it's not just a case of just stopping a try. You've got to think of so many things through that moment. You've got to think, right, I've got to cover the ball. I've got to try to turn him over. I've got to get my legs under it to stop him. I've got to hold him up to make sure my teammates can come in and hold him up. It was just a phenomenal tackle. I mean, Parramatta overall, just to touch on a little bit, the defence overall, had to make 500 extra tackles than Panthers. Sorry, not extra, buddy. Five hundred tackles overall, but that I've never seen that many tackles in a game. The only tackle stat I've seen close to that was Eden's missed tackles in a season at Uddersfield University. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've been waiting to get one that in all week. So uh, I should have seen that coming, shouldn't I? But yeah, but fair play to Paramount. But it shows again, demonstrates that suffocating ability Panthers have to make a team make over five hundred tackles. It's just, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, just a note on um, on Nathan Clear. I know you, I know you picked him as your Player of the Week. We've spoken about him so many times, but just how good is he? Especially with the boo. It's like he's the ball on a string's been thrown around so many times. But I think it's more than that. Like you, it's one of them. Pick a blade of grass you want, and he'll put it on every yeah. time. Every so time. That late twenty. That late forty twenty. Every kid, bigger than a 40 20 from one end of the pitch to the other corner of the pitch, it was an enormous kick. And you talk about clutch players and your big game players, there he is. 
obviously yeah. not, he, he, he pulls stuff out of obviously he had drop kicks to win games penalties to win games he kicks from the sideline he is the perfect clutch player and would I'm sure we'd all agree the perfect player you want in a final series if it's 18-18 a piece in a grand final you know he's slotting that one pointer over and you know that he's going to he wants to do that that's the type of player he wants to have that ball to have that opportunity yeah, it's like laser accuracy. And just just linking back to something that we said earlier about the um, about suffocating the teams. One thing I've noticed from watching it is from watching the Panthers this season is the amount of repeat sets. It's just because Cleary's got that quality with the boot and Luai as well to an extent. You get it into the in goal with a little grubber, and then you've got all these big men charging at you, and you're getting you're getting tackled on your own in goal, and you're getting the ball back. That's why they're conceding barely any points, the Panthers, and that's why the you know the scoring so many, and they're on a run like this. Um, just very quickly then, Jed, will the Eels drop out of the four? They've got two games coming up that they should win, really, but they are so out of sorts at the minute compared to the usual standard. Should they really be worried about Canberra breathing down the necks? I would be, yeah, because I think Canberra are winning both their games. They've got Sharks and Warriors. Sharks are sitting eighth. They're not going to go anywhere. Warriors can't get in it. They've both teams got really nothing to play for. I mean, Sharks will want to build a bit of momentum. Eels lose one game, Canberra getting fourth. That's that's it, and I think they will. I think they're going to drop out. I do. I just don't see anything about them to persuade me why they're going to stick it out in that fourth. Maybe if Canberra have an off week, but they're they're playing well at the moment, as I'm sure Josh is going to touch on later on. Yeah, right now actually he is because that's the next game off. Um, Josh will enjoy hearing that, but yeah, the Raiders beat the Dragons 37-8 this weekend, and they just made it look so easy at times. Just toying with them, they looked fitter, they looked faster, they looked stronger, and. They deservedly piled the points on later on in the game. Just so slick in attack, weren't Joss? Yeah, I mean, normality is restored, isn't it? Jed's trying to act like he's some knowledge of rugby league. Cowboys are trying to find a win. And more importantly, big boys are back in winner's circle. So, <laughs> I think, but despite the domination and the cruise control in the second half, and, and, I, and I'm not just saying it as a Canberra fan, I think the daunting realisation some teams are going to have is, I don't think we've seen Canberra fully in fifth gear yet. The grind teams down in first half to their level, uh, they absolutely blow them off the park in the second half. And I know they got turned over by Sydney last week, but I, don't be surprised if you see them deep in September. Yeah, the thing is as well, I think with the Raiders, there's, there's quality all over the field. But you look at the pack and it's usually the likes of Papali, Bateman, Whitehead, the, the ones that we're picking out. But at the minute, how good is Hudson Young? Yeah, well, obviously the pack normally gets a lot of credit. As you mentioned, you know, there's some big names in there from usual suspects. But how good have Ryan Sutton and, well, in particular, Hudson Young been this week? You know, it seems like one has a week off, so one can go play well. He, mm. He's just a big bloke. He's strong, hard carries. And then he's backing up with strong defence. And then he, he's getting into the right positions because he scored three in his last four games now. And that's better stats than I've ever had. An easy pack. But he's come yeah. on a long way since his ban. And he's a big body in a shirt as well. And he, he, he just... He, Really, really impressive. I think his consistency has been the most, most impressive thing this year. You know, he's got some some uh, games behind him and he's gone well. From a, from a Raiders fan's point of view, then, how good is it to have Rapana back? Now we know we know he's had a stint in Union. We know how, how good he is, but he played centre here. And I've just just again from your point of view as a as a Raiders fan, how key is he to have the player? Yeah, I think you just look for his name on the sheet and then you think, well, it's going to be a secure side, isn't it? His, his ability to finish and play on the wing is he's well documented, rightly so. But how good is he and how reliable is he? You know, he's, he's normally scoring magic tries, but this season he's played anywhere and everywhere. He's gone, like, he's gone into pack for the Raiders this year. You know, he's, 
he's literally his versatility has been obviously there's been injury problems all over the shop, but his versatility has been unreal. You know, he's he's a big bloke and he's strong. He's got an handoff like a freight train. You know, if someone comes towards him and he's getting an handoff, he's going straight past him. And I just think he's an experienced head as well, especially going to his final series without blokes like Hodgson. You're going to rely on him a bit more because you know how wide you're safe, aren't you? So he's just, he's just always reassuring to have him inside. Yeah, 100%. Just for, for how good the Raiders were, though, the Dragons, well, the Dragons weren't, were they? You know, 31 missed tackles, that's really, really poor. But one thing that stood out for me for the Dragons were, were complete lack of game management. They looked like they'd figured out how to get through the Raiders' defence a couple of times and then they just, for some reason, completely changed how they were going about it. Yeah, so it confused me a bit as well and it had me a bit worried early on. You know, they've got Cody Ramsey, to be fair to him, he's done everything he's been asked to do on his debut. You know, he scored yeah. his points and he took his ball in. And then early on, they're going down that side and getting some joy, you know, line breaks and scoring points. And then, for some unbeknown reason, they decide they're not going back down that side again. And it's just a bit like, well, what's going on? You know, and the players they've got in them game management positions, they're not, they're not blokes who don't know how to play. Corey Norman, he's been around for ages. Ben Hunt, he's an origin level player. You know, it's just, just really poor decision making at the weekend. And obviously, that then affects your game management and just. We just seem to go away from what they've done so well in the last couple of weeks by attacking out wide, Will Max, etc. And, well, I, I, I want to say they tried to battle them down the middle, but the, the Dragons didn't offer much down the middle, neither. No, they didn't. Um, bit of a two-part question here then for you, Josh. I've already heard Jed's opinion, but first part, the Raiders make the four, and also how far did they go in the playoffs? Um, I think the Raiders make the four, yeah, I think... Uh, like Jed says, I think the Eels will struggle. Um, I think I think Canberra just we're just hitting straps at the right time to win the next two games and get to where they want to be. Um, I know there's been a lot of people saying it, but no one's won it won the NRL outside of the top four in the modern era. And I feel like if one team are going to do it or in that top eight, it is Canberra because it, if we get an home time, not a lot of teams are going to travel to a cold winter in Canberra. To, not it's not a place you want to go when you've got to get a result. So yeah. I, I think I definitely think I'll see him deep. We'll see him deep into September. I'm not sure if finals uh, if they'll be in the final, but I definitely think they'll be there or thereabouts. Mm, absolutely. So from one team in form to to really haven't um, coming back to you, Jed. It's bad to worse for the Broncos. That's nine straight losses now. They've given guys to the Titans and the Titans are going to finish the, the season as the best team in Queensland. But like I said, the Broncos were awful again, weren't they? Yeah, and I, I don't know. I thought, I did predict that the Titans would win this in my predictions. Um, I, thought they'd be, I, I thought they'd be up for it. Um, it's the first time they've ever done the double over the Broncos. That can't be understated. Um, I've mm-hmm. mentioned a few times the the Broncos fans think beating the Titans is a formality. It is not something yeah. that should be celebrated. It's something that is just done, and it should done with, be without question. It's such the gulf in the two teams. Titans have only been a club for around 12 years. Obviously, fair play Broncos have not been around about, about 30 years, but the facilities they have, the scouting pool they have, the resources they have, they're the biggest club, arguably, in terms of stature in rugby league, along with the Roosters and the Rabbits, I'd say. So to be outspotted twice in the season by Gold Titans, to be the worst team in Queensland, I don't know if that might be their first time in history. Yeah, it's 
it's really bad times uh, up there at the Suncorp. You'll be relieved that they are the worst team in Queensland then, won't you? Um, one thing that stands out for me is, is this seems like an attitude problem at the Broncos, which is something that you, re- you know, I really shouldn't be saying, but the prime example is when Titans made that break and scored that full-length try, and I can't remember who finished it off now off the top of my head. But it was like they all turned and he was just like walking and jogging back apart from one player and that player was Payne Haas and he it was there right on right on his own try line as they put the ball down. Once again, maybe the only bright spark for Brisbane, maybe along with Staggs. Yeah, Staggs went well. Um, he has got, I think, him and Lomax are probably the best young centres in the competition for me. Um, I think he's gone well. I think I'd like to see him performing at full stride in two years' time in a good side, whether that will be Broncos, I don't know. But yeah, Payne has, he performs every week, doesn't he? I mean, Carrigan, in terms of his runs, he had 115, not what we'd expect, but he still churned out about 40 tackles. And we'll give Carrigan some rest. He does perform every week, so we'll give him one week off and he still did all right. But yeah, Payne has, 162 metres, 39 tackles. As you say, like that, that try was a great try. You felt like they could have been stopped. It felt like Dot like it was Ash Taylor made the break and then he gave it to Don. You felt Don could have been tackled and then he got it to believe young Tonham appear. Maybe other yeah. teams have tackled yeah. him. But yeah, they're just not bothered. Like, it's just, like There's never been a better definition of a team that's already on the beach. They are they are done with the season. And consider, I think, I don't know whether they think that dogs are going to get the spoon. They can't see them picking up a victory, but big teams don't rely on other teams. They make it, they do it themselves. Think we don't rely on anyone. We're going to make sure that's not our spoon. Not a thing that Broncos should have to be worrying about, but here we are. And yeah, they're still just not bothered at all. Like, I don't, yeah, they, a lot of play, I mean, Boyd's going at the end of the season. Obviously, Fafita's going. They need to lock Payne Haas down as quick as possible because they don't want a repeat of what happened there with Fafita. The needle, it needs completely ripping out and starting again, does the Broncos, because I've never seen or even heard of a Broncos team be, be this bad. Yeah, I don't know if Ash Taylor had a big spider on him or something, but just no one would, were coming near him. The size of that gap was just ridiculous. And it was right in the middle of the field as well. But it's it's tempting just to sit here and talk about how bad the Broncos are. Well, yeah, uh, I was going to say were, but we have to give credit to the Titans as well, don't we? It, it, for me, it's, it's impossible to dislike the Titans. They play really entertaining stuff. There's a good club culture there and an ethos around the place. And exciting times for the fans looking to the future. You know, you saw Dave Fafita play there and um, and he scored and he, he actually did okay. Maybe I was a bit unfair saying House was the only uh, only bright spot. But yeah, exciting times for the Titans. Yeah, massively. Like You, you got Joss's mate in uh, number eight, Fotowaka, putting in another good string. There's a reason that he got his player of the week. 179 metres, 38 tackles. Again, one of them does it week in, week out. I'm sure uh, we discussed last week, he, he, he's a Kiwi. Rep honours will not be far away from him. If there was internationals at the end of the year, I think he'd be pretty much a shoo-in with how well he's performed. Uh, mentioned to Anthony Don as well. Obviously, being, he's been at the Gold Coast his whole career. Is there, I don't know if he's their record appearance maker. I would presume he would be, but he's definitely their record try scorer. I think he's got about 85 yeah. tries. And he got 190 metres this game. It, it just shows he's about 32, but he's still churning out. And it'll be nice for him to play with arguably the most talented squad that he's had at Gold Coast next season. But yeah, they definitely are a club on the up. Um, I think it's important. Gold Coast is one of the most recognisable cities around the world in terms of Australia, I think. It's known sort of like the Miami of Australia, so it's important to have a good rugby league club there. So if you want to spread the game, that's a good club to do it. And yeah, they've got so many good players coming in and, and I reckon they'll be pushing playoffs next season. I'm a big fan of Brian Kelly. 
Um, I think yeah. he's a really good centre and he's, he's, he's turned on this season. Obviously, we, they are lacking in the backs next season as opposed to the forwards. Do think they need a little bit of recruitment in there. And for me, a big thing they need to get is they need a star halfback because Ash Taylor, does. he might have played all right, but he doesn't cut it for me. He's not worth the salary he's on. Foggy is still quite, obviously, he's old in age, but young in experience in terms of NRL exposure. They need a world beater halfback to do it. Someone like the Newcastle, they went and got Mitchell Pearce. That is what Titans need to do to me to turn it into a, a real team that wants to be pushing for finals footy at the end of the season. In terms of recruitment, you've got to think the attractions there. Like you say, it's the Miami of Australia as, as it's been touted. And, you know, gorgeous place. And that, is that not part of the pull as part of the lifestyle? You'd have thought so. I'd have thought so. But then if you're a player who wants to win trophies, it's been documented in the past. You've got to play. You've got to pay the Gulf Coast premium. You've got, if a player's worth 800,000 a year, you need to be paying them 950,000 just to get them to come to the Gold Coast because statistically and, and historically, they're not a team that's going to be pushing for honours. That might change with the big clubs, the, the big players that they've recruited next season. If they do push for the Titans, you might see that kind of drop. So, they'll get players for what they are worth and not have to overpay. Um, and maybe they'll, they could potentially turn into a force. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where this Titans um, team goes, especially under the guidance. You've got Meninga behind the scenes and obviously Holbrook, who's got them playing expansive and attractive football. Yeah, the signs are there. Like I say, it is exciting. Um, just coming over to you then again, Joss. Um, Roosters versus the Knights. A 42-12 win for the Roosters. Bit of a cane in the end, really. But some of the stuff that the Roosters were playing were just scintillating at times. So exciting. Yeah, this this result comes as a bit of a surprise to me. I, I had uh, the tricolors to get the win, but I didn't see them doing it in this manner. And this 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 result will hurt the Newcastle boys, and it'll be interesting to see how they come back from this. But it's it's a cold hard reality check for Newcastle going towards the finals, and how good you got to be to get to where you want to be. Um, yeah, the, the Knights have Ponga missing and, and maybe a couple of others. And, you know, they're not a one-man team, but he certainly makes them a lot slicker with the ball. But just look at the, Roost, the, the, the Roosters team, the players that the Roosters are missing now and, and have been all year, and they're still just dismantling teams. And this is a, a top-eight side that they're, they're just turning over. This isn't one of the, the poorer sides in the league. They're hitting great form just before the finals. But for you, what won the Roosters the game? Yeah, for me, again, it's just it's just a huge message and statement from the Roosters boys that no matter who they've got in this starting side or in their squad, they're here, they're ready to rumble come finals time. You know, it's highlighted by their ability to smother and just kill teams. They ran 500 more metres than the Knights, and which it sounds bad, but then when you look, they also had 33 runs more. Now, that's a big, daunting number, especially against the Sydney side who have come to make a point. It's just complete and utter domination, you know. And the scoreline shows that they just they smothered the Knights out, and then the Knights had nowhere to go. They had nothing to offer, and then Sydney just do what Sydney did, kicked onto higher gears and ran away with it. Yeah, I think from a Knights' point of view as well, there were way too many missed tackles, way too many errors. But it also, one thing that that sticks out. Only two Newcastle players were in the top 10 metre makers. Now, yeah, you could argue that they were starved of possession, but you're still looking for more than that, aren't you? Especially with the players that they've got. Yeah, it's just a very scary stat again. You know, only two in the top 10. It just shows the domination Sydney had, and they were just outclassed and out-infused with the Newcastle pack. 
the pack didn't perform, so they didn't have a platform to play on, and then the, the arse just didn't create enough and provide opportunities for them to have a go. I just, it was just a complete, this, this for me was just a complete domination, you know. Newcastle were nowhere to be seen for large parts of this game. 36 missed tackles and 11 errors reiterates how worrying it is, especially with finals football on the corner. And then again, Pongo will be back. He's world-class, we know that. And I think in Mitch Pearce, they've got an out-and-out half who was the bloke to do it. If he's going to drag him through, it's going to be him. Yeah, 100%. Um, I just want to get your opinion on something then, on the Roosters. What do you think about Sonny Bill Williams and everything that's sort of going on around that and this kind of Sonny Bill versus Orbison, where do they both fit in kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, imagine having the luxury of having that headache. You've got Sonny Bill Williams who's played All Blacks, done everything, conquered world twice and come back. And then you've got Orbo who's a 300-game legend. You know, he's two blocks who you know is going to do a job. I think you've got to play Sonny Bill when you can because he's, He's a name and he's a threat and you're going to throw bodies in the way of him and you're just going to draw people in and pop the ball away. We know he can do that, even if he's only on for a short period of time. But then again, I don't think Orbo then doesn't deserve to be in the side neither. I mean, it's a bad headache to have, but it's also a great headache to have because you know you're going to get a performance from one of them either way. Yeah, one, um, one headache that they don't have is um, Brett Morris. Now, he's a starter and he has to be. He's 34 years old and you would not know it to see him play. Maybe on the close-ups you would, but watching how he goes about his game, he looks he looks like a spring chicken. You know, he's got the pace, he's got the power and he just doesn't seem to be slowing down. You know, he's he's not just an old time and getting one last payday at a big club. He just seems to get better and better. Yeah, you know, he's 34, but he's got more hair than me and you put together and more ability than me, you and Jed and his left toe. He's a freak of an athlete. He's absolutely... He's not insane, you know. Him and Tedesco ran, literally ran Newcastle off the park this weekend. 228 metres for Brett Morris this week. He didn't get over the try line, but when you're carrying the ball for 228 metres, does it matter if you get over the try line? Because you're doing everything else that's getting asked to you. He's just absolutely huge, and his experience that he brings and his calmness, he's, he, just puts, he just puts Sydney in a great spot before kick-off. You know, and then you've got his twin at other side of the field who's done it all, been there, and he's the exact same. The carbon copies of one another, it's just... Just a great luxury to have. Absolutely, absolutely. But again, I think that's that's kind of linking back to what we said earlier about Blake Ferguson. You know, it's, while he wasn't scoring, he's still getting through the meters. And you know, Brett Morris has, has done the same thing. I know he gets over the uh, over the line a lot more, but not this weekend. Um, Jed, coming back to you, mate, on the Cowboys. Now, I'll admit, I had a little chuckle to myself while I was writing the notes. I did, um, and I did when I saw the score, and I did watching it back, um, just because it's all at your expense. But are you happy with that? Now that sounds like a daft question when you're losing a game by 16 points. But I think you and I think I, if I was a Cowboys fan, would have been fearing a far heavier defeat. I mean, they're not going to get the spoon, so I, I, they could get pumped 18 nil every week now. Like. I'm not <laughs> Having that, so I'm happy regardless. Oh, uh, that's the. I, I get, I get what you mean. Um, Thirty-six twenty is very favourable to, towards Cowboys. I will say that we were very poor. Um, mm. I, I, I'm going to say I'm happy because it's Storm. Um, they very rarely take their foot off the gas when they've got the chance to really put it, put the sword to teams. 
Um, but they didn't this week and at 36-20, as I say, it is favourable. So, yeah, I guess I am kind of happy about that. Obviously, I'd rather win. That goes without saying. But yeah. I was expecting a much heavier, heavier defeat, I shall say. Yeah, I think, like you say, the storm started really well and it looked like they were just going to run away with it and absolutely just walk all over the Cowboys. But credit to the Cowboys for hanging in there as well and, you know, not giving up and still, you know, getting those points later on. But I do think that was more down to the Storm than the Cowboys, I must admit. Um, I don't think the scoreline reflects the game fairly, as you've just touched on. But um, anyway, just quickly on Cameron Munster. Such control over the game. Now, when he performs, Melbourne perform, and he certainly performed this weekend. He did indeed. It was his birthday as well, so he definitely got um, a nice birthday for him. Two tries, one which I think... Two walkings as well. Two yeah, walkings. Well, they didn't touch him. One of them he had to hop and a skip and a jumper to get there, but still no one managed to jump him. So if he, he don't want to fancy playing rugby anymore, he can go be a hurdling. I'm sure he'd be world-class at that as well. Uh, five tackle <laughs> busts, two line breaks, an offload. He, he really showed his damaging best. He's one of the, I think him and Whiten are probably the only two that spring to mind. There will be others, but two on that level that are very much not half that stick to structure. They're very mm. much play what's in front of them. I remember when I was listening to a podcast quite a while ago and, and they once Cronk was going to uh, Roosters, they said, you're going to take over the Cronk. And he was like, I don't want to do that. I'm not Cooper Cronk. And they're like, yeah, you're not Cooper Cronk. You're Cameron Munster. Do what you do best. If you see a gap, then you go for it. You're an off-the-cuff player and you're one of the best in the world at doing it. And today, that this game showed why is that. He, he just he spots something before anyone else spots it and he just always managed to sort of like get his nose through the line. He's very much very much similar to Jack White in terms of that aspect and he was very dangerous and probably could have scored again or maybe a few more and damaged the, the Cowboys a little bit more. I do think the completion rate let him down. Obviously, not him particularly, but in terms of the team, like 76%. He's poor for Melbourne. If they'd have been pushing the top, the high 80s like they usually do, we'd have probably seen a lot more tries. So I think that probably come into play and, and impacted the scoreline. I mean, the Cowboys were 69%, so it shows still how much better the world than the Cowboys. But yeah, Munster is a great player. I've rated him for quite a while. And um, yeah, yeah, great performance from him. Probably would have yeah. been the second in player of the week, to be honest. Probably just lost yeah. out to Cleary. Not being uh, Cooper Cronk hasn't served him badly so far, has it? But he's another one that's come through that talent pool at, at Melbourne and it's just scarily good. There's not a subpar player in the ranks and there was another example of that there with the lad in the fullback. Yeah, Hines, he ran for 210 metres and had five tackle busts. I mean, when you're coming in for Pappenhausen, who's, I think this would be another one on podcast bingo, who's been the best fullback in the league this season. He'll <laughs> put in immense numbers in like that. They do it all the time. I think if you go back and relate it back to Munster, he got his debut because Slater was out for the season with a shoulder injury. And it's just such a... They get the loose Slater, they bring in Munster. Slater retires, they bring in Pappenhausen. They've lost Pappenhausen for a week or so, bring in Hines. But same with the hooker position. Again, and the props all over the park and the centres, they just keep doing it. But if you look at hooker, they've got Smith. They've got Brian out on loan. They've got Brandon Smith, who's that good. He's now playing at loose, but he wants to be a hooker. It's scary, the amount of depth that they have at that club. But I, the amount of players that they must have in the reserves who are just going to future world beaters in the making, it'd, it'd be amazing to see. I, I just think they're probably under 20 side and probably finishing the top four in Super League. They'd be that good. Yeah, it must be nice to, you know, 
you get that initial sinking feeling when one of your big players gets injured and then you just look at your reserves and go, oh, no, it's fine. He'll slide in. And they just seem to do it over and over. And it never does them any harm, does it? Um, coming back to you, Josh, mate. Um, the Sharks, 24. The Warriors, 14. Um, quite a close game, that one, as we probably expected, you know. Peter Flicker was at it again, but um, the Sharks just seem to dig in quite a bit more. Yeah, the Sean Johnson Cups, and him back with the Sharkies. I, I do feel sorry for the Warriors, you know, because once again, they give out and soul into a game. But the Sharks are showing why they deserve to be the top eight side and the Warriors not. You know, it's, it's a gritty win, but I think it's a gritty win the Sharks needed, especially this time of year. It, had, it didn't have the finals intensity, but it had the finals feel about it that the Sharks needed to pull the result out somewhere. And, you know, they've shown why they are top eight and they've managed to do so. Yeah, the, the gritty nature of that performance and, like I said, digging in that we mentioned, how much of that was about muting Tuovasa Shek and his, his involvement? You know, we know how good he is, but should he have done more or did the Sharks just do a job on him? You know, we, we hammer on about how good he is and all these superhuman efforts and he, he, he does it consistently anyway, but I feel like the Sharks did really well to mute him in this performance, you know. They didn't let him get a foothold in the game, and but it also show, it shows the reliant they are from the Warriors on RTS. It, it were more of the Sharks not giving him space or giving him time with the ball. You know, he's still he's still chalked up twenty runs and gone for hundred and sixty four meters, which is still a good outing, especially on a losing side. We're only not ranting and raving about how good his numbers are because we're so used to seeing two hundred plus, nearly three hundred yak meters. So I just think that I just think the, the Sharks did a job on him this weekend. Mm. Now you dubbed this one the Sean Johnson Cup, so let's have a let's have a word on him. Massive performance against his former club, and do you think he looks to be slowly getting back to the old Sean Johnson? And you know the, the old Sean Johnson in, uh, in in inverted commas, who was just sort of decimating teams for fun because he's certainly performing must be close to his best now. Yeah, I feel like he was the major difference between the two sides of the weekend, and I think we're saying he's getting back to the old Sean Johnson, but. This new Sean Johnson with the experience and the age he's got on his side could be a whole completely different monster. You know, he, he knows what he's doing now and he knows how to, to grind a win out. You know, he's, he's creating opportunities from nothing. Two tries assists off his boot. You know, that just, just shows you how good he can be when he wants to be. And it shows you that he's playing with confidence to be trying them. And, you know, he was skipper this weekend and I feel like he's a real captain's not for him this weekend. And if Sharks are going to go deep into September then, there's going to be a lot of reliance on Sean Johnson to pull out performances week in, week out. And I feel like he's, like I mentioned with Mitch Pearce for nights, I feel like if they're going to do so, he will be the bloke to get it done for him. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, just a word on someone like the Warriors, Tohu Harris. Um, second best Harris in the world, I think they, they called him on the on the commentary. But he's he's really leading from the front now and he, he's epitomising that fighting spirit, the true leadership. And he, he's performances. Yeah, I mentioned it a few weeks back that the uh, the Warriors were just lacking someone in the forward pack, you know, to stand up. There's quite a few young blokes there, even when Hedrington and stuff are playing, they're still young lads. And they just mm. needed someone to stand up and lead. And I feel like Toto Harris has listened to this podcast, so I'm going to show him a bit of what I can do. And, you know, in the last six weeks or so, he's gone really above and beyond for team. And I think, in a, in a t- I, can't, I can't actually think of a, sight, a time when his form's been as good. You know, 202 metres this weekend with 41 tackles is a superhuman effort down the middle. Especially a bloke who's not... He's a big body, but he's not as big as some of the blokes who are knocking about on the park. He, 
he thoroughly deserves his, his place in the team and the way we've put out and he's just he's winning really well at the minute and I feel like he, he shone through when RTS didn't get the opportunities to this weekend mm. just just want to talk about Jack Murchie for a second he's very he's very raw is probably the word and he's He's still very inexperienced, but he looks really good this weekend. That's a, that's a really nice acquisition for the Warriors, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty disappointed when uh, I found that they were leaving Raiders. Obviously, I know there's competition for places in the Pat Bears a bit, quite an high level, but he's just a really good young talent, and he's, he's not one of them who does overly glamorous things. I know he got a, a score that weekend, which he thoroughly deserved, you know, from his hard work, but he's just, mm. he's just a boy who does the hard stuff, and he might... More importantly, he just he's happy to do the grunt work. You know, he's putting his hand up and he's coming in for it. Forty-six tackles against a, a, quite a big shark side. It's, it's another great effort. And then you, when you've got Tohu Harris backing up on the other side with forty-one tackles, you know, it's it's really good stats and we're barely missing tackles as well. I just think it's a really good outing for him, and I feel like his try were thoroughly well deserved. Great stuff, mate. So that's that's all eight games there. Um, that leaves the. Top eight locked in. Uh, there's two games to go. The mighty Penrith Panthers are only needed one more win to become the minor premiers. But there is still a lot left to play for here, especially around in the four. It'll be really, really interesting to see how that one plays out, especially with the Eels so out of form, the Raiders and Rabbit Holes, both within arm's length and both with a better points difference as well. So, you know, there could be a, there could be a change over there. That will be very interesting to, to watch. So the table in full then. We've got the Penrith Panthers up top on 33 points, followed by the Storm in 30. Roosters in third on 26. Eels in fourth, also on 26. The Raiders in 24. Rabbitohs in sixth on 22. The Knights in seventh on 21, just missing out on the four, um, mathematically. Granola Sharks in eighth on 20. And then six points behind, you've got the West Tigers on 14, Manly Seagulls on 14, the Warriors on 14, and the Titans on 14. Very tight down there, even with nothing to play for. Um, the Dragons are there on 12, the Cowboys on 8, Broncos on 6, and the Bulldogs on 4. Now, who gets the spoon then? Do the, do the Bulldogs manage to pull a win out? Because the Broncos have got way worse points difference. We'll come to you first, Joss. Um... Oh, I want to say Cowboys, but they can't get it. Um, <laughs> I think with the Kieran foreign injury, I think the dogs will end up with a spoon. I think right. the spark, the bit of fight they had, it's the lights flickering out now, and I think the I think the pack at the Broncos is just a little bit too much to, to keep away from the spoon. Yeah, Jed. Uh, yeah, I'd, pr- I'd probably second Joss's thoughts there. I would love the Broncos to get it, um, just because I'd love the Dogs not to get it, because I think they've been I'd, I'd had it tough this season, and I don't think a lot of their performances have, have, have warranted defeats. I think they've put a, teams a, pushed teams a lot more than the Broncos have, and the Broncos have kind of just sort of given up, really. I'd love mm. to see the final game of the season it be a Broncos-Dogs, because I think Dogs have beat them, I really do. But unfortunately, yeah. just with the games that they've got left, I just can't see the doggies picking up any points, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'll go dogs too. I agree with what you're saying as well. I kind of, it sounds bad, but I kind of want the Broncos to get the spoon just to sort of give them a bit of a, a boot up the backside and say, you know, stop walking around the park, stop just jogging and put some graft in because that's something that you can't you can't say about the dogs. They are still working for each other. 
So that wraps up the NRL section of the podcast. So we'll just move over and have a very um, very brief mention on the uh, the rugby league of the weekend over here. Um, Hull FC 26, Wakefield Trinity 23, another defeat for your boys. Um, St Helens 20, Hull K, sorry, St Helens 21, Hull KR 20. Way tighter than anyone expected that. You know, a lot of credit to KR. So that's a very good side that ran close. The Leeds Rhinos 13, Huddersfield Giants 12, another tight game. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, and then the Catalan Dragons 12, Wigan Warriors 28. That's the Super League. One Challenge Cup game, which saw the which saw Hull FC beat Castleford Tigers 29-16. Um, so, Jed, from a wakey point of view, again, are, are you, you know, sound like we're saying similar stuff um, that we do about the, the Cowboys as well, but... Are you pleasantly surprised with, with that? Because, you know, there's a lot of problems at Wakey at the minute. Way out of form, some off-field issues that we won't go into too much. But, you know, only three points off Hull. Um, I won't say I'm happy. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm from Wakefield. Obviously, I, I, my club, obviously, it's, it, it's my biggest passion in life. Obviously, I, I, I'm never happy to see them lose. Yeah. It was a big improvement. I think a lot more players playing for each other. Um, I'm f- very happy that Connor Bailey um, finally got a game. I think a lot of us have been crying out for him to get a game in the arse for quite a while now and try something a bit new. Yeah, he might have only got only got it because of the, the COVID scenarios and stuff like that. But nice to see a, a lot of other youth players and, and academy products getting in. And, and a, message, a big mention to uh, Yusuf Aden as well, who made his, his debut. Um, he's actually came through the, the ranks at Eastmore. So, um, big shout out to him. Obviously, that's my state where I'm from, so it's always nice to see a, a local lad do well. Um, hopefully, yeah. we improve on it. It'd be nice to see a win. Um, not happy we lost. Happy we're improving. Hopefully, a win's on its way soon. I think you certainly are improving. You know, you gave... I probably worded it wrong saying you're happy with it, but you gave a very, very good account of yourselves. And, Joss, how do you feel about that? I think for me, the more daunting and scary prospect is the fact that OKR okay, keep pulling out these performances and they're mm. taking sides that you wouldn't want them to be taking tight. Like that game against St. Evans, where, where for me, they deserve to win, did OKR. Okay, and I think that's the main worry at the minute. I think we need to find something from somewhere where we can pull out a performance like that. Um, I think, like Jed said, I think Yusuf played really well, you know, for a young lad going on it pack. I thought he went really well. He got involved and brought some energy. Um, I think things are getting better, but I think slowly going to be like that. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure where his win's going to come from, but hopefully uh, mm. surprise me and get one. Well, yeah, like you said, that is the worry that, you know, when you're out of sorts and there's other teams around there with you and then, you know, you're looking over your shoulder and thinking... They're doing all right, and you know they've not picked up the points. Luckily for you boys here, but got the one far off other, and there's bright signs there for KR. Um, less bright signs for the Rhinos. Um, now, you know I'm a Rhinos fan, and we got the win, which is great. That's the most important thing. But it's another unconvincing performance. Now there just seems to be something missing. We've we've played five games since the restart, and we've only put in one decent performance for me, and that were against Salford. You know, we picked up three wins, um, beating Huddersfield twice. Where the first one for me, we really didn't deserve to win. We had a, we had a bright 15, 20 minutes. Um, this game, we were awful for the first half, and 
yeah, guys clearly, you know, put the boot in them at half time and they've come out firing for the second, which is which is good. But there just really is something something missing there. The only player that's really performing for us is Richie Milo, and he's he's been played out of position. You know, he's he's at fullback at the minute and he's an half. Um, he had something different there, but I don't know. You know, again, there's there's off field issues with COVID and stuff and and injuries, but. Look at sides like Saints who just hit the ground running. They just look so, so much better than us. And that's a team that were out of form before. Um, but anyway, moving on. Challenge Cup weekend coming up for most, but um, Wakey have Huddersfield in the Super League on Thursday. Josty, are you going to get the win? Um, <clears throat> yeah, by four. By four? Four, yeah. Uh, I think. Well, they've just announced Simon Wolford's leaving, haven't they? So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna sting them at the time, it's gonna be just after the coach announces he's leaving. I know they could be backing up a performance for him, but they've, they've got injuries and we need we need to get us something from somewhere. So it needs to be here. Yeah, Jed, you. For years, Huddersfield were our bogey side. Even when we were playing well and they were down bottom, they'd always seem to come and beat us. That's shifted the last few years and we seem to always try and put in a decent performance in against them. Obviously, not saying we win every time, but we win more than we used to. I don't know. I just I just feel like we're pretty much bereft of ideas. I'd like to see the same squad stay. I'm not sure what players will be allowed to come back with the COVID restrictions, but I'd like to see that same 17, to be honest, because I feel like they did give it a good go and I'd like to see them get some more game time together and see how they go. I don't think that'll happen. I think there'll be quite a lot of swapping and changing. Um, so I'm, I'm being pessimistic, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to say, no, I think Huddersfield are going to win. Yeah, so do I, to be honest. I think there's, there's, they'll, they'll find a way. And I think, you know, like, like Josh said, it's going to go one or two ways with, with Wolford leaving and what they do as an immediate reaction. But I think... It's the kind of group, and the Wolford had that kind of respect amongst the group where they'll they'll really pull it out, similar to what we saw at the uh, St George of the Warrow when um, when McGregor went. But yes, that will be interesting to watch. Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Three Blokes and a Rugby League podcast. The regulars will be back next week, so you don't have to listen to me witter on that time. Um, keep up with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on interview announcement and loads more. Thank you, Jed and Josh, for joining me today, and we'll see you soon.